Good morning and welcome to another installment of Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. We're calling this one Pharisees, a follow-up, and prophecy. So <clears throat> last time we were together, we, we spoke a good bit about the Asbury Revival or the movement, the event that is taking place at Asbury. And so the follow-up section of this one is going to be regarding uh, Asbury and some further developments and some other things that we have seen uh, coming from, from Asbury. And the prophecy bit, I'll go ahead and burst your bubble on that one. Uh, that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'm going to give a prediction or just a concern that I have. Um, we're not doing any real prophecy today, guys. Um, I don't think God's given any new prophecy or any prophetic revelation. Uh, but I do want to reiterate and share my biggest concern, not just from Asbury, but this move where you just hear of, of a lot of different places now that all of a sudden, oh, the Spirit fell here. Now we have our own revival. Um and, and, and some of the things that, I, that I'm seeing lead to great concern uh, in a particular area or in a specific way. But I want to start with this topic of Pharisees, and here's why. Um, I'm not the only one in our area, uh, uh, it, it period. I mean, if, if you go on YouTube and there's discernment ministries and, and things of that nature, but even in our area, small town, southern Georgia, um, there's been others who have voiced their concerns and have given some encouragement to practice discernment and to say, hey, you know, let, let's take our time with this before we really start calling it a revival or have you guys seen this? You know, that it is cause of concern. So people have brought up um, things that they're seeing, red flags, cautions, uh, whatever you would like to call them. And the response back has been interesting, a bit troublesome to see. Uh, now, me personally, I haven't seen anybody just be nasty or mean when they're talking about the Asbury Revival and calling for discernment. I haven't seen anybody that's like bashing the Asbury Revival or saying that it's all fake and phony and it's just ridiculous. I've, Me personally, I've only seen people say, hey, here's some red flags that I'm seeing or hey, let's let's think about this or hey, let's just practice some discernment. So nothing out of the way. However, what I've seen in response to those things are comments like, well, you need to read your Bible. Well, the Bible says don't judge. Well, clearly these people skip the New Testament. They need to read the New Testament and, and things of that nature. And it's like, man, but I digress because what happens in general when anyone, especially in today's world, when anyone let's just say there's a particular, like a powerful church service, or let's just say there's this, this, this new preacher who comes on the scene and a lot of people are starting to follow his ministry or um, uh, follow his teaching or, or whatever else. Um, say that it's, it, it's a new book that is written and a lot of people are excited about the book and they're sharing it with their friends and everything else. People who stand up and voice the concern that, hey, whenever anything comes along, Anything new, anything that we haven't heard before, anything that we haven't been taught before, we're supposed to practice discernment. A lot of times the response from others, uh, especially if there's already an emotional attachment involved, is, well, you're being a Pharisee or you're, you're trying to keep God in a box. Um, 
or God doesn't have to operate in ways that you understand. And now that statement is true. God doesn't, God doesn't have to do anything according to our understanding or in ways that we say, okay, God, we're okay with you acting that way. So you can act that way. Um, but the Pharisee thing and the keeping God in a box, like I remember, I remember being young, um, going to the the school that I grew up in. Uh, I, I went to a, a Christian school and I can remember chapel speakers when they, when that language first started to arrive and arise this whole, you don't want to keep God in a box, man. You don't want to keep God in a box. You want to experience God and everything. I mean, I can remember that one from when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. So it's just interesting that people are still on board with the whole, you can't keep God in a box. And I agree, you don't need to keep him in a box, but you need to keep it biblical. You know, God's not going to do anything contrary to his character and contrary to the word which he has given us. But Pharisees, that's probably one of the most, you're a Pharisee or you're a, you're a legalist or you're whatever. And that's very interesting to me um, for a couple of reasons. But I just want to make some brief comments there and then some brief comments on the follow-up and then some brief comments about um, my prophetic utterances. And again, that's that's tongue-in-cheek. We're not doing prophecy here today. Um, And the last last podcast was like an hour and 40 minutes. I promise this one's not going to be that long. I'm, I'm literally aiming for this one to be about 30 to 40 minutes tops. I want to be brief. I'm not going to elaborate on a lot of these things. I'm just trying to do uh, a follow-up to the last one. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to think about it. Uh, and I'm hoping to get a conversation started and to generate some thought and some deeper study uh, on these topics. So let's get started. Pharisees, follow-up, and prophecy. Um, so anyone who stands up, gives discer- tries to give discernment or encourage discernment, or even if a, even if a pastor preaches a sermon, it's like, hey guys, um, <clears throat> we've been doing things this way, or this is a common practice within churches today but it's not actually biblical. Uh, We probably need to stop doing that. Uh, Probably shouldn't practice things that are unbiblical. That pastor might be pegged as a Pharisee or as a legalist or something like that. So real quick, the issue with the Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees was not not just that they knew the law. Like we, we, we cannot buy into the mindset that people who know scripture and people who want to promote scripture are Pharisees. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. Uh, And that's a very dangerous um, line of thought to buy into. So we need to understand the the issue with the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees in in the New Testament, and the reason they had such an issue with Jesus was not that they knew the law. Okay, like that. the problem is deeper than that. Right. So when we meet people today in today's world, when we meet brothers and sisters in Christ, that that maybe they maybe they are uh, maybe they're more well versed in Scripture than we are, and they bring up things <clears throat> that we've never thought about before. But they're bringing it up in a way where they're literally just you need to consider this. You should consider this. And there are some people that are more firm than others, and so some people may say, "Well, the Bible says this, so you need to stop doing what you're doing." And sometimes when people are that blunt with us, and we're not used to it. We're kind of taken aback and we get defensive, but we don't even really know why we're defensive. But it, it's really just because our beliefs are being challenged. Um, but just because somebody is more well-versed in scripture or they um, maybe they're a little bit more mature in the, the faith than we are, and we're, we're not going to be able to, to discern that like right out of the gate. But if they're a little bit more 
uh, firm in the faith, uh, mature in the faith, and they say things that we disagree with, we can't just write them off as Pharisees just because they're pointing us to the word. Like pointing people to the word is what we ought to do as Christians. We ought to point our brothers and sisters in Christ to the word when there's a question on a topic, when there's a when there's a study being done and we have further questions and we need to do deeper studies, when we need to to dig deeper, it's the word that we need to be digging deeper into. And it's the word that we need to be doing deeper studies into. So pointing people to the word and pointing people to biblical truth is a good thing. And knowing the word is something to be commended. We're to to hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. We are to study to show ourselves approved. And again, you hear me repeat this a million times. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, all scriptures God breathed is profitable for correction, for teaching, correction, reproof, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. So if we want to be that Christian who is strong, who is mature, um, who is equipped for every good work, then the scripture is the answer. So I'll start there. We, we've got to get past this mindset of people who bring up scripture and people who point to scripture that they're Pharisees. I would, if that's you, if you've done that in the past, or if you still do that now, that anytime somebody says something that's in opposition to what you think or believe and they point to scripture, writing them off as a Pharisee is not beneficial. It's not helpful. And even if they are in the wrong, you're not edifying them. You're not exhorting them. You're not actually correcting them. You're just name calling. So we, we need to do better in that category. But also that was not the problem of the Pharisees. The problem of the Pharisees was that they had, they did have their own interpretation of the law, but they had also added to the law and they held their own tradition and interpretation. They gave their own traditions and interpretations the same authority as the actual scripture, as the word that they had received from God. So, so that was the issue. Man-made traditions and interpretations that they had, that they had given the same authority as the actual word of God. That's the issue. So when when they got upset and they tried to attack Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath or because his disciples plucked grain on the Sabbath, we need to understand something. This is very important. Jesus never actually broke the law. Jesus was never guilty of breaking the law. The accusation was, hey, you're breaking the law. You're breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. Um, and we know that it's because of Christ's perfect obedience that he was truly sinless. So if Jesus ever transgressed any of the law, if he ever did legitimately break the law, then he's not the spotless son of God that was needed to atone for our sins. And we don't have a savior. Um, it would also make, it would also make God a liar because we're told that Christ was without sin. But if he broke the law, then he was with sin and God is a liar. So like that's a big issue. We've got to understand. The Pharisees did accuse him of breaking the law. Jesus never actually broke the law. So so what was what was the beef between Jesus and the Pharisees? Uh, Jesus did do things that went against the Pharisees' man-made traditions and their additions to the law uh, in some cases. And, I, and I'm being very brief here and kind of just 
almost paraphrasing this entire study. This is, again, this is not a deep dive. I'm just trying to, to quickly point these things out uh, and do a shorter installment as a follow-up to the, the first one that we did on revivals and everything else. So in a nutshell, Jesus, Jesus did do things that went against the Pharisees, like interpretations and, and traditions and things that they had added to the law. And that's what rubbed them the wrong way because here's the real issue with the Pharisees. They were more concerned with their traditions and the way that they did things and their own self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were ultimately concerned with. They knew the law. That was not the problem. The law was, or the problem was, they didn't actually love God. They were more concerned with their traditions, their power, and their own self-righteousness. That's the problem, okay? So, that leads to my third thing that I want to say about this topic of Pharisees. The Pharisees were actually guilty in many ways, scribes, Pharisees, and, and even many of the Jews of the day. They were guilty of worshiping in vain, which means it was empty worship, which means that when these people got together to worship God, God did not accept their worship. Well, that's an interesting thought. That should sober us up a little bit when we remember, oh, wait, there's a way in which we can offer up worship to God. We can, we can go to church, we can sing our songs, we can pray. A preacher can preach and we're worshiping, but God doesn't accept that worship. That's a big deal. We need to, we need to uh, have some thought on that. Like, oh, well, oh yeah, that's right. There's there's acceptable worship and there's non-acceptable worship. So when we say, okay, well, the Pharisees, if they were guilty of worshiping God in vain, then what led to that? What led to them worshiping in vain? Well, let's look at Matthew 15. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 15, verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So real quick, the Pharisees always got upset with Jesus for like breaking the Sabbath or breaking the law, to put it simply. Jesus here is saying, you're actually breaking the law. You're breaking the command of God because of your tradition. So the Pharisees were guilty of the same thing that they were accusing Jesus of. Jesus was not guilty. The Pharisees were in fact guilty. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me? Now that's the key. In vain do they worship me. These people were worshiping God, but it was in vain. They were worshiping, but it was empty. They were worshiping, but it was not acceptable in the sight of God. Why? Teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men, or teaching as the word of God, the commandments of men. That was the problem. Um, 
And then, then we have this section where he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. That's what defiles a person. And his disciples asked for clarity. And he said, do you not understand? You eat something, it goes into your stomach and it's expelled. So it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now that's actually, you can go to the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty good summation of the Ten Commandments there. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, um, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So from the heart, here, here's what actually defiles a person. Things that legitimately break the commandments of God, break the law of God. Things that legitimately um, cause enmity between us and God. Those are the things that defile a person, including coming up with your own man-made traditions and treating them as the word of God. That ends up defiling a person. But we also know that the Pharisees, they, were, they weren't truly honoring God. They weren't truly holding their office as, as the leaders and they were, uh, they were taking advantage of the poor, of, of elderly at, at times, and they were guilty of these things. And ultimately, they, they're the ones who cry out, crucify him, murder. And so all of that came from their heart. So that's what genuinely defiles a person. Um, and so we need to make a distinction and we need to understand what a, what a true Pharisee actually is. The problem of the Pharisees was not that they knew the word. The problem was that they were more concerned with their own traditions and their own self-righteousness. So an interesting thing happens. Let's just say that person A calls person B a Pharisee because person B told person A, hey, let's practice some discernment. Let's think about this biblically. So person A then calls person B, well, you're a Pharisee. How dare you say something like that? Clearly this is a move of God or clearly this is an act of God. Why would you tell me to study the word? Why would you bring up scripture? You're a, you're a Pharisee. But let's say that person A is actually doing something that isn't biblical, that is kind of a man-made tradition, and they're irate with person B for actually being truthful and being biblical. So if we turn that situation on its head and person B actually calls person A a Pharisee because person A is not rightly understanding the word of God, not submitting to the word of God and choosing to practice what they want to uh, instead of actually practicing the word of God. So person B then calls person A a Pharisee. That would actually be an accurate situation. So it's interesting when you really break it down, a lot of times the people who are shouting, oh, you're a Pharisee or you're, you're a legalist or you're keeping God in a box, they are the ones that are actually guilty of what they're accusing other people of. Um, and to be very simplistic in this, I'm not trying to be snarky. Or I'm not trying to be petty, but I want to use some real life examples here because I've, I've seen this on Facebook and social media already. Again, people who are saying, hey, let's practice some discernment with this Asbury revival. Again, I've seen, well, you just need to read your Bible. You don't need to judge people. I literally saw a comment that says they must have skipped the New Testament. And it's it's interesting on the one hand. On, on the other hand, I almost want to laugh about it. On the other hand, I want to to cry about it. I know I I just gave myself three hands. I don't have three hands, but you understand what I'm saying. 
Like these people who are saying, go read your Bible, they must have skipped the New Testament. They're guilty of what they're accusing other people of. And they're also the ones who are name calling, slandering, making false accusations. Those are things that actually defile people. And those are things that come from the heart. A brother or sister in Christ who encourages the body of Christ to think biblically, to go to the word, to exercise discernment, which is a biblical teaching. Test the spirit, see whether or not they're of God. If, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. We want you to be mature in the faith so that you're not tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but that you can be strong, that you can be uh, an, an adult, and I'm paraphrasing that, Ephesians 4 though, so that you can be an adult, so that you can be full grown, strong in the faith, unmovable. Those are good things. Those are biblical things. And so that's actually something we should be rejoicing about. We should be thankful to God that he has given people in our lives that will point back to scripture. But if we're just calling them a Pharisee because, oh, well, you use the word too much. You're too attached to scripture. God can do whatever he wants to do. Um, While there's a little bit of truth in that, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's sovereign. He's not going to, again, he's not going to act in ways that are inconsistent with his character and his nature. And he's not going to do anything that is contrary to his word, which he has given us. And contrary to his word, which is able to make us fully equipped for every good work. So we're in some cases, in some cases. Now, are there, are there people out there that they do only have a head knowledge and they try to beat people over the head with it? Yes, I'm not talking about those people. But the brothers and sisters we have in Christ who are saying, please just think biblically, practice some discernment. We should be thankful for these people, but instead, a lot of times, they're the ones that they're getting called Pharisees. They're getting attacked simply because they actually want to be biblical. And that's that's not good. So I wanted to start there. If you are somebody that maybe you've been called a Pharisee, stay the course. If, if you have a heart to see God glorified and you want to see the body of Christ edified and your aim in telling people to practice discernment is simply to see God glorified and for the body of Christ to be sanctified, stay the course. Stay the course. If you are someone who has, you've been in the habit of calling other people Pharisees or, or talking bad about other people, please stop, think, um, be patient, and, and maybe try to practice that discernment. Even if you think you don't need it, even if you disagree with that exhortation to practice discernment, do it anyway. Go to the Word. Because whether you like it or not, it is a biblical command. It is a biblical instruction to test the spirits, see whether or not they are of God. And if they are not of God, we are encouraged to reject them, to avoid them, to stay away from them. So the problem with the Pharisees was not that they knew the law. The problem with the Pharisees was that they were more concerned with self-righteousness and their own man-made tradition. Last thing on this topic, what are some man-made traditions that are not biblical at all that people get up in arms about today? Decreeing and declaring, binding Satan, pleading the blood, taking authority in a place. But even now that's more like charismatic leaning stuff. But guys, at the end of the day, the sinner's prayer still isn't in the Bible. Asking Jesus into your heart, giving your life to Christ. All of these phrases and things that we use, they're not actually in the scripture. But when somebody comes along and simply says, hey, you know, those things aren't in the scripture. Why are we practicing them? Then attacks start. Then, then 
slander starts and everything else. So all I'm saying is consider that. Are there, are there any man-made traditions in your life that you are attached to and you are dedicated to, but when you really stop to think about it, they're not biblical? And if the answer is yes, then we need to turn away from those things. And we need to acknowledge that we haven't been practicing biblically. We haven't been living and, and worshiping uh, biblically. Um, and so, so do consider that because there's a lot of man-made tradition today that does get passed off as the word, as biblical, as godly. And the people who practice these things practice these things because they, a lot of them think that it makes them more godly. It thinks that it makes them spiritually stronger to go around decreeing and declaring things, naming, naming it and claiming it and binding Satan and everything else. Those are man-made traditions. They're not in scripture. They need to be turned away from. They need to be turned away from. Um, so consider this topic of Phariseeism or what a Pharisee really, really is, really was, uh, and, and the true issue there. They held their traditions and their interpretations. They gave those things the same authority as they did the word, and uh, that was the problem. They were more concerned with their tradition and their self-righteousness. And so um, their worship was empty. Their worship was empty. It was not acceptable in the sight of God. If you want a cross-reference for that, Amos chapter five and Malachi chapter one. Amos chapter five, Malachi chapter one. Those are some Old Testament examples where God literally says things like, the, your worship, these things are detestable in my sight. It's a stench in my nostrils. Uh, that's Isaiah 65, I think. Uh, it's a stench in his nostrils. Um, but he says, your, your, solemn, uh, your solemn gatherings, they, they make me sick. Uh, and again, that's paraphrasing, but Amos chapter five, Malachi one, and then I ended up referencing Isaiah 65 as well. But this leads to my follow-up. Asbury Revival. Last week, when I brought it up, um, not even last week, I think it was earlier this week, but I digress. It was a call for discernment. And I was asking you guys to, to just please not jump to conclusions and say, oh, this is definitely a revival. But also, oh, this definitely isn't a revival. I was asking you guys to just practice some discernment. Think about it. Be patient with it and uh, and continue to to watch it. Continue to, to watch the coverage of it because it's everywhere. That's the nature of the beast. You know, we that's the world we live in today. You can find it. Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find the Asbury Revival everywhere. But um, that was that was earlier. Now I can say, now this is me. I'm not asking you to think exactly the way that I think, but please understand this. Now I can say pretty confidently, I cannot call what's going on at Asbury a revival. And I really don't think that anyone else should either. Is something happening at Asbury? Is there a move happening at Asbury? Yes, clearly. Is it a revival? Is it fully God honoring? Is it leading to conviction, repentance, sanctification, all of those things um, that are truly God honoring? That's a true move of the spirit of God? No, I don't think so. Can good come from it? Can people really be saved by having gone to Asbury and being led closer to God or, or having an experience? Yeah, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So 
some good things may come from this, but the issue is, can we call it a revival? And I would say pretty confidently at this point, no, we can't. Um, I would encourage you guys, if you're not familiar with Samuel Say, he has a, a blog website called Slow to Write. Um, and he did a write-up on the Asbury Revival today, but he actually mentioned that he came to faith through, he went to what he, he referred to as a fake revival, a false revival. It was a woman pastor there, but that is something that God used in his life that, that led to salvation. And so again, good things may or may not come from this, but can we call it a revival? No, I would encourage you to read that article uh, by Samuel Say uh, on the Asbury Revival. And then Chris Roseborough actually has a really, really well thought out and well uh, reasoned um, breakdown of the Asbury Revival. He actually goes into the original language on some passages of scripture and talks about what revival really is. And so Chris Roseborough, he's got a YouTube channel called Fighting for the Faith. I would encourage you to watch that. So what are the things that I'm seeing that, that give me more confidence in saying this really isn't a true move of God? Two things in particular. I mentioned some things on the last podcast, the the overly charismatic language, the, the new apostolic reformation connections and, and things of that nature. But at this point, I can confirm that there in fact have been some uh, female pastors that have led chapel services and, and, and they are preaching sermons. And I know that many people will say, Caleb, seriously, is it really that big of a deal anymore that women preach? Yes, it's still a big deal. Uh, it is still biblical that the office of pastor is for a male um, and that uh, women are not to have the authority over the men. And, and yes, so it is still a big deal because it's a biblical deal. The other thing that I've seen is that openly uh, LGBTQ plus um students are actually helping lead in worship. So that's a huge red flag because if this was a true revival, then anybody that was living in open, unrepentant rebellion against God, sin against God, they wouldn't be comfortable and they wouldn't feel okay with continuing in that open, unrepentant sin against God. Uh, and they also, people who were openly rebelling against God and his word, would not be given a platform to help lead, quote unquote, lead worship. That is worship that is surely not accepted by God um, to have people that are living in open rebellion against him. And so I know I've said that three times now, and some of you, you might be tuning in and saying, okay, well, what, what's Caleb's take on this? Is he just anti-LGBTQ plus whatever else? No, listen, all people are made in the image of God. Therefore, all people are inherently worthy of respect, dignity, uh, and, and we, should, uh, we should approach all people like that, regardless of what walk of life they come from, regardless of what their sexual affiliations are. But as believers, we also understand that in the beginning, God created all things and he created man and he created them male and female. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. And God instituted marriage and God instituted family. Marriage is one man, one woman, one lifetime. Family is one man, one woman, and their offspring. It's just, it really is just that simple because that's biblical. That is God's order. God is a God of order. He has ordered things. If we fight against that order, if we kick against that order, we are in open rebellion against God, okay? 
So anyone who is in open rebellion against God, let's say they go to a service where the Holy Spirit is moving and we are ushered into the presence of God. And that is language that people with this Asbury revival, this is language that they're using. That the Spirit of God, it's an outpouring. The Spirit of God is there. The presence of God is there. So think scripturally, people who were in the presence of God. And then you have the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, the Spirit who leads into all truth. It, scripturally speaking, men would fall on their face. Men would, would cry out, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, 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 I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. And um, depart from me. I'm not worthy to be here with you. Um, fall on your face and worship. And you don't see people who are in open, unrepentant sin able to, to just worship in those settings. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy and we are not. Um, so even just with that simplistic thought there and you say, well, well, what is, what should be our take on this? You know, maybe, maybe they're not feeling convicted over their sin because they haven't heard a sermon preached about it or what? No, no, no. What's being said is the spirit of God has fallen. The presence of God is here. If this was a true revival, these men and women uh, who are in open rebellion against, against God, they're transgressing the word of God, uh, they would feel compelled to repent of their sin and be made right with God. Instead, not only are they comfortable in this situation, they don't feel the need to repent. They're actually leading the worship. So this would be this would be akin to something, let's say in the Old Testament, they got one of the prophets of Baal to come in and lead worship at the synagogue or to lead worship at the temple. Um, it would be akin to bringing in the unclean animals or the lame and the blind animals and offering them up as sacrifices before God. It would be deliberately doing something that you know is wrong biblically, deliberately doing it and still calling it rightly worshiping God. Does God accept that? No. No, he doesn't. Um, so that that's going to lead into my my prophecy, my prophetic utterance, my, my concerns with these things. But but what I just said can be can be confirmed. You can go look it up for yourself. I, I found a young man on uh on Twitter. And this guy, he's a student at Asbury and he's doing a great job daily. He posts numerous times, keeping up with the Asbury Revival. Um, it's Elijah, but it, his, it's Edward Versailles on Twitter. And, and he's the one who said all eight days, when, when the revival was just eight days old, he said all eight days, um, people of color and, and queer students have been leading the worship. So persons of color, like, okay, great. Red and yellow, black and white. Right, whatever, but queer students leading worship. Um, we're going to read Romans 1 in a moment, but the other thing that was confirmed was that there are women pastors, women teachers that are preaching um, at this revival. So based upon, based upon those two things, I can confidently say this is not a true move of God. This is not a true revival because now we can confirm that people that, that are in open rebellion against God and openly going against his word are not just being welcomed in, but they're 
And that's one thing. Do you welcome people that are living in sin into a revival or into a church service? Yes, because you, the hope and prayer is we pray that they hear the truth and they're saved. We pray that they hear the truth and they repent of their sinful lifestyles. So it's not just that they're being welcomed in, um, but giving a place to lead worship, to lead worship. Um, you know, I, If there's a church that has a pastor who is a known uh, adulterer and sleeps with multiple women, other than his wife, I would hope that if he if he continues to try to stand in the pulpit, that some church members would say, "You're not you're not doing this. You're not going to stand and 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 you're not going to stand in the office of pastor and pretend that you're worshiping God and honoring God through preaching His Word and shepherding us as a church body when you are openly rebelling against God and His Word and living in in sexual sin." So in the same way. Um, people who are openly, unrepentedly LGBTQ+, and they think that God is okay with it, they think that God promotes it and affirms it, they're not leading worship. They're leading false worship in, in, in these cases. So first, the, uh, the issue of women pastors. We actually have something in Scripture for us, a detailed description of if, <laughs> if a man desires the office of an overseer, a pastor, a shepherd. So here's what this is not. This is not me saying God doesn't use women because I know that's often the rebuttal. Well, if you don't think women can be pastors, you just think God doesn't use women. Nope. Uh, using women for his glory and being a pastor, those are two separate categories and we've got to be able to make that distinction. Does God use women? Yes, Clearly, in the Old Testament, there we do read about prophet, prophetesses. We do read about Deborah being a judge. We do read about different women being used by God. In the New Testament, it was women who went to the tomb and uh, discovered that Jesus had um, had risen, and they went and shared that testimony with, with the other men, uh, and God used them in that way. In Romans 16, there's Unia or Junia, however you want to pronounce that. Uh, and we have these accounts of God using women. Like That is without question. Does that mean that we can come to the conclusion that women are pastors? No. Here's one thing you will not find in scripture, a female pastor. You won't find it. It's not there. Furthermore, just because we have accounts where God used women, that doesn't mean we can ignore the clear description of what a pastor is and what a pastor is called to do from 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. I would just submit to you that a woman cannot be the husband of one wife. I know it's 2023, but a woman cannot be the husband of, of one wife. Um, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And that's another one that often gets overlooked. I think it gets overlooked a lot. He must manage his own household well. Biblically speaking, who is the head of household? Biblically speaking, who has the headship of the home? It's the male, not the female. It's the male, it's the husband. Uh, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And, and just above that, towards the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. For she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and, deceived and became a transgressor. 
So some people will say, oh, well, that was just for a particular time. That was just in that city where Timothy was. But Paul goes all the way back to creation. Well, what does creation tell us? Adam was the head. He had headship over all mankind. He also had headship over Eve. It's a God-given institution. Men are to be pastors. Uh, Because I'm trying to keep this brief, again, this is not going to be a deep dive into any of these things. Uh, But yes, that's an issue. Women who are standing in the office of pastor, women who are exercising authority over men, that is unbiblical. And that leads to worship that is not accepted by God. Um, But let's go to Romans 1. Um, And by the way, before I read Romans 1, I I, I do want to be clear on this. People who are in the LGBTQ plus community, this is not hatred towards any of you if you're listening or or if you're if you're listening and you're not in that community. I'm not encouraging hatred or um, or animosity. Um, but what when when it comes to how do we love these people? How do we show these people that we love them? We have to think biblically. So if I know of somebody who is living in unrepentant, open rebellion against God then one of the ways that I love them, yes, you be a friend to them. Yes, you spend time with them. Yes, you pray with them. But you must be truthful with them. You must be honest with them. You must give them biblical truth. And the truth of the matter is, people who are living in open, unrepentant sin need to repent. They need to acknowledge their sin before God. And living in open, homosexual bisexual, trans lifestyle that you that you say there's nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. That is something that you need to repent of and turn away from because it's not God-honoring. It's not holy. It's not good. Uh, it's a perversion of God's created order. So I want to read briefly from Romans chapter one here. Um, and this is a this is kind of the, the unfolding of God giving people over to a, a reprobate mind, the unfolding of what comes when people stop to worship God and they stop to worship the creation rather than the creator. Romans 1, starting in 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural desires for those that are contrary to nature. So notice, the women exchanged natural desires for those that are contrary to nature. It's going against the created order. It's going against the natural order of things, the God-given order. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So this is what we have going on at the Asbury Revival, revival, so-called. 
I do not believe it's a revival. I do not believe it's a true move of God. Can God save people and do a good work in the hearts of men and women in spite of this being a false revival? Yes, absolutely. And we praise God for that because God is sovereign. God can overcome all the schemes of Satan, all of the wiles of the devil, uh, and, and do as he pleases. But in this setting at Asbury, men and women who are in open rebellion against God are not repenting. They're not being convicted. They're being promoted to the platform to lead, quote unquote, worship. So we must ask ourselves, worship that is in blatant contradiction to what God has given us, will that worship be accepted by God or will it be rejected by God? And I would submit that it is rejected by God. Are people at Asbury worshiping? Yes. Do they claim that they're worshiping God? Yes. Is this worship acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God? If all these things are certainly true, then this is certainly not acceptable in the sight of God. And we must give thoughtful consideration to these things. My last question on this topic, if you are somebody who has just unabashedly supported this Asbury revival from the start and you have said, this is surely of God, this is a God thing, the spirit is moving, this is the, all glory and honor to God, this is, what, this is what we need more of. With these things being known, um, my question to you is simply, what would it take? What would it take to get your attention and to cause you to have a moment of concern, a moment of consideration? What would have to happen to get your attention? Um, that's just a question that I have. That's just a question that I have. What, what would have to happen to get your attention, to cause you to take a moment to just pause and consider, is this really of God? Does it really honor God? Lastly, I've already gone past the 45 minute mark, so I didn't make my goal, but this is gonna be the most brief part of this. This is my prophecy. This is my prophetic utterance. This is my thought. And again, I say that tongue in cheek, just in case somebody says later on down the road, well, Caleb made a prophecy one time and it didn't come true, so we don't have to listen to him anymore. That was tongue in cheek. This is not a prophecy. These are my concerns, but given the, Given the uh, <clears throat> the theme of the moment, these are my prophetic utterances. Here's my concern. This type of revival, revival so-called, this type of revival could very well further usher in and solidify, and that's what I'm most concerned about. This type of revival could solidify this American brand of Christianity that is all accepting, all inclusive, and it's toothless, it's fangless, it has no bite, it has no conviction, it has no mention of sin. It's all inclusive, it's all accepting, and it's all based on emotion, which takes us back to the last episode. So much of what we're hearing from Asbury is, there's such a sweet spirit, there's such a loving spirit, there's such a peaceful, relaxing, just calm spirit in the place when you go and you worship with these people. It has to be God. We are experiencing experiencing the love of God and we're attributing these things to God, but really it's just a, it's just a feeling. It's just an emotion of, oh, I'm here. I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm accepted. That's not God. It's an emotion. So this type of revival could help usher in and solidify 
this all-inclusive, all-accepting brand of Christianity that is not godly, it's not biblical, and needs to be rejected. That's my concern. That's my, that's my biggest concern in all of this. To the extent, let me, I mean, let me explain. To the extent that maybe people who up to this point, maybe they have in their heart and their mind, they've said, well, the Bible is like clear that marriage is one man, one woman, and um, you can't be openly LGBTQ and not repent of it and still be saved. And they're gonna become a part of these things. They're gonna be around people who are openly LGBTQ and they're gonna say, these people are so genuine. These people are so sincere. These people are so kind. These people are so loving. They must love God like I love God. So I'm gonna look past all of the biblical stuff. I'm gonna look past scripture. I'm only gonna focus on my experience. I'm only gonna focus on the person in front of me. And I'm saying they're sincere, they're genuine. So this must be real. And people who have at least loosely held to biblical standards are gonna say, my life has been changed. My viewpoints have been changed. Once I saw how sincere, how genuine these people were, I understood this must be of God. So this type of revival, this type of movement actually encourages people to bypass all discernment, to bypass scripture and just focus on how you feel. Let your heart tell you what's true. Let your feelings tell you what's true. And that's the world we live in. That is the God of this age. How you feel, um, your emotions, let, let your heart lead you. It's not real Christianity. That is not real Christianity. That's not true to scripture. It's not faithful to God. And that will lead to worship that surely is rejected by God. That's my biggest concern with this. As an offshoot of that, biblical Christianity, which just holds to truth, God created all things. God created man. He created them male and female. Marriage is one man, one woman. Family is one man, one woman, and their children. Christians who actually hold to these basic biblical truths. Christians who say things like, hey, just because you feel good doesn't mean that it's of God. We need to practice discernment. That type of Christianity is going to become enemy number one to all those who buy in to this movement, to all those who are a part of this movement. Their number one enemy is going to be basic biblical Christianity and, and Christians who just practice basic biblical principles. That's gonna be enemy number one. Why? Because the scripture fl flies in the face of everything that they're gonna be promoting and supporting. So how dare you bring scripture into it? How dare you bring up the truth of God? You're a Pharisee. You're a legalist. Get that out of here. We just want to worship the way that we want to worship. And the, the biblical Christian is standing there like, yeah, that's the problem. We can't just do whatever's right in our own eyes. God has given us instructions on how to worship. God has given us his word and we must submit to that. So that's an offshoot of it. Um, and the last thing that I'll say, I did keep it under an hour because this is the last thing I'm gonna say. Um, there's still the, the, the hope and the prayer like, oh, you need to bring this to your church. You need to bring this to your college campus. You need to bring this revival to your city, to your church. The last thing that I'll say is if you are in full support of a revival like this, where there's no there doesn't seem to be, I, I should, I need to be gracious there. There does not seem to be any genuine, real conviction and repentance of sin, things that are blatantly ungodly, blatantly unbiblical. If you are in full support of a revival like that, a revival like that, please don't bring it back here. 
don't take it to your church. Don't bring it to your city. If you're here in Glenville or Baxley or the surrounding areas, don't bring it here. Because this type of move, this type of movement is going to lead people into further deception, encourage them to not think biblically, and it's going to lead people astray. And therefore, a movement like this will lead people to hell. Don't bring this type of revival or this move to your church or to your city or to your university. Here's what you take instead. Here's what you do instead. Take the word of God with you. A physical copy. Take the word of God upon your lips with you wherever you go. Take the word of God in your heart wherever you go. Preach and teach truth. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. Teach truth at your job. Teach truth in your family. Teach truth um, wherever you go. That's, that's where revival, true revival, biblical revival will happen. If you're a pastor, you don't need a move like this. You don't need all the energy, the excitement, the hype. You need the word of God. God is faithful to accomplish what he intends to accomplish. Last time we looked at biblical revival, so-called, or we, we termed it that, uh, but really it was just God's word being read and people repenting and people coming, God bringing his people back to him. We don't need this movement. We don't need, Christians do not need this type of event to latch on to, to spur anything on. What we need is the word of God. We need confession and repentance over the man-made traditions that we've carried with us for years. We need to turn away from those things. We need to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. We need to submit to his authority and the authority of his word. That will bring revival. True revival, lasting revival. That will bring repentance. That will bring regeneration. We need the truth. Um, so if you are unabashedly, unashamedly in support of these things, don't bring it back here. Don't take it to your church. Don't. You're harming people. You will harm people. Stop it, please. Here's how I want to close. Thank you for joining us on this installment of Christianity Proper. Um, I do actually want to close in a word of prayer for everything uh, that is going on right now. So on Facebook and even here on the podcast, let us, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and all that you've done for us. God, we just thank you for, um, we thank you for your word. We praise you for your word. We praise you for salvation. God, we praise you that you are sovereign, uh, that you are greater and stronger than all the schemes uh, of the evil one, the strategies of Satan. God, we praise you that you are always accomplishing what you intend to accomplish, that no man can stay your hand, that no one can thwart your plans or to halt your plans. Uh, and God, we just pray for the body of Christ right now that you would grant discernment, uh, that you would grant sanctification. God, that you would, um, <clears throat> that you would grant strength, um, that you would grant eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we pray for those who are at the Asbury Revival, those who have been a part of it, those who are planning to go. God, we pray that you would give discernment there. Uh, God, we pray that for those who are in open, unrepentant sin, God, we pray that you would bring them to their knees in, in repentance. Uh, God, we pray that they will be saved. Lord, we pray that 
in the in the midst of everything going going on there that if it be your will a true revival break out that your word uh, the true gospel and the truth is proclaimed and that people would repent and be saved that saints would be further sanctified um, so God we just pray ultimately over all of this that, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven but we pray for your people those that you have called to yourself those that you have raised up to new life God we pray that you would continue to give discernment um, God, that you would give the strength and the boldness to stand to proclaim the truth. Um, and God, we pray that for those brothers and sisters that we have that are caught up in false doctrine or false moves, um, God, that you would rescue them out of that, that they would be snatched from the fire. Um, and God, we know that we can rest ultimately in the fact that the true sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow. The true sheep hear the truth and they follow. Uh, they will not follow the voice of another. And God, we pray for those who... Uh, are simply deceived. God, we pray that you would save them out of that deception. We pray that you would raise the dead, truly raise the spiritual dead to new life in Christ Jesus. We pray for our uh, our small towns here, uh, Glenville, Ludowisi, Baxley, um, Jessup, uh, all of the surrounding areas, Alma, Hazelhurst, the list goes on. Uh, God, we just pray that you would give discernment to the body of Christ here. God, we pray for leaders, pastors, uh, that you would grant them a conviction to preach the truth, that we would see, that we would truly see uh, your spirit move among your people and among our communities, that again, that souls would be saved, that saints would be edified, and that you would be glorified in all things. God, we just praise you um, for all that you have done. We praise you for the work of your hand. We pray that you would receive the honor and the glory for it all. We ask again that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for joining. We'll catch you next time uh, on Christianity Proper.